Okay, today um, we are beginning, uh, a, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark. And we've been slowly working our way through it. We've got all the way to chapter 3 since Christmas. I think it's about then. But anyhow, we're in chapter 3 of Mark. And uh, so when uh, you were in school, chances are that your teacher in English or literature had you read The Tale of Two Cities. How many had to read The Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, okay? Well, today the title is The Tale of Two Families. So we've altered it just a little bit. Uh, so that's going to be the title. Let's get that there, the tale of two families. And in Mark chapter 3, we get a glimpse into the family life of Jesus, a rare insight into his family. And in this particular time that we're going to study today, we find that his family was concerned about his approach to ministry. And they even accused him, now this is, you, I'm going to read this in a minute, but he was, they accused him of being, he was losing his mind, they thought. And Jesus' mother and brothers tracked him down, and they tried to do an intervention. And now in the Middle Eastern culture, honor and shame were among the highest of values. And their purpose would also have been to remove Jesus from a situation that would reflect badly on the family. But Jesus, uh, his family, is those who pursue a relationship with him, not just those who are related to him by blood. Family can also be, uh, it's those people who are related by faith. And uh, it was a good news, Jesus' family eventually came to believe in his name. And we can have that same hope today. So let me give you just some scriptural background to, this, to the lesson for today. It says in Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. And soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He is out of his mind, they said. And then going on in Mark chapter 3, skipping down to verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and brothers are out here asking for you. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he looked at those all around him, and he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, that was the, what was going on. Jesus was teaching. He had a 
big crowd there, as usual, by this time in his ministry. Wherever he went, wherever he taught, there would be a big crowd. And he had this big crowd around them, and his family shows up. And they, they want him to come outside and to meet with them. Now, why would they come? What, what had them so concerned that they journeyed all the way over to hear him speak and to see him? They were concerned. But why was it that they were so concerned? Let's try to look at the uh, situation from the family's point of view. There were some things that they had heard that bothered them. And they were concerned, and they, they wanted to, to talk to Jesus about these things. And so let me just list some of the things that they had heard that had them concerned. Number one, he, he left the family business. His father, Joseph, was a carpenter. He was a carpenter, and he left the family business. That was concerning. And then they had heard that he had picked some rather disturbing disciples, people to follow him. He had picked, he actually had chosen a tax collector to be one of his disciples. Now, in the Jewish world, the tax collector was thought of very, very negatively. They were considered traitors because they were collecting taxes for Rome and they hated the Romans. Why would, you, why would you choose a tax collector, someone who they felt was cheating and was a traitor, and why would you choose one of them to be your follower? And they not only heard that he had chosen a tax collector, he went to the home of a tax collector and he, he shared a meal with them and fellowship with them. And they heard this, and this, this was concerning. He, at another point, he picked a person of a group called the Zealots to be a follower, to be a disciple. Well, you don't do that. I mean, the Zealots were a, we, we would think of them as today revolutionary a revolutionary person. Why would you pick this person? The first thing that came to mind was he's chosen a troublemaker. <laughs> Why would you choose a troublemaker? And so this, this bothered them. He chose some questionable followers. And, and then he kept, it seemed like he was always, at least from the, what they heard, uh, the reports for what was going on, he was seemed to be always picking a fight with the religious establishment. He was getting into it with the Pharisees, and then he got into it with the Sadducees. And he, was, he seemed to be at odds with these who were part of the religious establishment of the day. And then, as we read in, in the passages that we just read from Mark 3, he was missing meals. He wasn't taking care of himself. He wasn't even eating right. You know, my mother would always get on me for that. You're not eating right. No, you ought to be eating more healthy food. Okay. But he wasn't eating right. He wasn't even eating. He wasn't even taking time to eat according to those verses. By all normal measures, what he was doing was strange and dangerous to him personally. 
early on, they even got word, and, and believe me, the word spread rapidly around the area of Galilee when something was going on. But they got word that Jesus had actually touched a leper, someone who had leprosy. You didn't do that. It was, it was against the law, first of all, but nobody in their right mind would go around touching someone that was that contagious. And then that's what they heard. He touched this leper. And besides this, he was, he was dealing with demons. He actually had conversations with demons. And uh, the demons recognized who he was. There, there was this interaction with demons. All of these things uh, seemed to indicate to them, this, this is out of control. We have to step in. We have to, we have to do something here. And so they came, and they were going to carry out an intervention. Well, then you have to ask, well, why did Jesus deny seeing them when they asked to, him to come out and visit? Well, the fact is that he was in the midst of a training session. He had a large crowd all around him. He was teaching them. He, he was in the middle of a lesson. And they came and wanted him to quit, come outside and visit with them right in the middle of it. He was elevating the work he had to do. And the call to follow Jesus comes at a high cost. You lay down your life and you trust him with it, even when it doesn't always go well with some of the people close to you. Now let's get it straight. Jesus, and I'll say this a number of times today, Jesus loved his family. He loved his family very dearly. And his focus on ministry was not at the expense of their well-being and their flourishing. He trusted God the Father to care for them while he was pursuing the will of the Father. He knew a family, his family was a gift from God. And Jesus was trusting God to care for his earthly family while he was following God's calling. In the end... Jesus' family believes in who he says he is. For example, we're going to find out that James, the oldest of the brothers other than him, James leads the Jerusalem church for a long time. Mary, his mother, and his brothers were present at the start of the early church just before the time of Pentecost. We believe that God can change the hearts of our family. Let's look at uh, Acts 1, 14. This is, this is this time when the church was just about to begin and Pentecost was on its way. They all met together, together and constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So Jesus had brothers. I don't know if you know that, but he had brothers and sisters. He had four brothers. They're, they're listed in the Bible. He had at least two sisters. And then there was his mom, Mary. You say, well, what about Joseph? Where was Joseph? With Joseph not being mentioned, many believe it's because that Joseph had already passed away by, the, by this time. And Jesus' family saw that he, what he was doing, and they were concerned about his beliefs and his practices and is serving others and preaching day and night. 
and they were going to take him away and save him from what they perceived to be a dangerous situation and save their own family, on the other hand, from embarrassment. Well, we learned weeks ago that you can't make Jesus fit into old wineskins. And this can happen in our families, as well as when we become Christians. Our parents or our siblings think maybe we've got a, gone a little overboard or we've gone out of bounds because we don't hold to the traditions and faith that they do anymore. And, and this can lead to uh, strained relationships, uh, positions of honor in the family being lost, being labeled weird. Okay, that can happen. Even today, that can happen. We see Jesus' family decide to have an intervention with him. That, what does that mean? That means they came to take charge of him. You understand? They were going to intervene. And they were it was indicating an attempt to forcibly remove him for his own good. They assume, as the scripture says, he was out of his mind from stress and overwork. The 12 disciples and the faithful followers who have come to humbly hear God's good news are the ones who get to be with him. In the changing relationships of the kingdom of God, the insiders become the outsiders, and the outsiders become the insiders. And this is why the call to follow Jesus is hard for many people. The German clergyman and martyr for the faith, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, called this the cost of discipleship. That's what he labeled it. That's one of the costs of discipleship. Jesus is establishing a new society in which family is defined not by ethnic or national identity, but by a common allegiance to the kingdom of God and his purposes in the world. Jesus' words were uh, here uh, were of great significance for the church in Mark's day, where allegiance to Jesus would have meant many times great significance and resulted in rejection. Jews who accepted Jesus as the Messiah were often disowned. Gentile converts were viewed as abandoning the gods of their ancestors, and both suffered ostracism. Now, your family should be the most important thing in your life. God gave you a family. They are a gift from him, as I said. I told you I was going to repeat that. We admit that we trust God with our jobs. We admit that we trust God with our finances. We admit that we trust God with our health. Why don't we trust God with our families? We are unashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. So let's not cower in the midst of fear of being rejected or losing relationships. And here's the key. This is the principle I want you to grab a hold of in this whole relationship of family. We must live holy and transformed lives before our families, exercising the fruits of the Spirit so they can come and see the power of the gospel in action right before their eyes. So, we have two families, the biological family, the family of faith. 
And God, the goal of following Christ is for the biological family to become part of the faith family. That's the goal. We have to remain responsible for loving our immediate family while making the time to also serve Jesus and worship Him and learn from Him and love Him. As I said, God gifts us with family. He put us in the family on purpose. There are no accidents in God's kingdom. So if your family is apathetic to the gospel message at this particular time, don't give up. Our job is to share the good news and have our family our, and patiently wait for God to work on our family's hearts. Hopefully along the way, our family members will join the family of God as we stay true to our spiritual family. Now, as I said before, Jesus' family eventually got saved, okay? Jesus wants us to find ways to share our hope in Christ with our earthly families that they may understand. I want to illustrate this with a story of, of my sister's testimony. Uh, she was the typical older sister. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Okay. She thought she was b boss. Okay, that what she said was what goes. <laughs> uh, she thought she was the boss of Ohio. Okay. All right. Uh, I was a rather independent soul, and I had no inclination whatsoever to pay attention to what she said. So this resulted in, uh, what should we say, uh, contention in the relationship for years. <laughs> okay? I, she went her way. I'm thinking to myself, so I'm supposed to listen to her? She thinks, she thinks John Derrick should be president. Now, I know everybody, don't, if you're younger than 80, <laughs> let me explain. John Derrick was a Hollywood heartthrob, okay? And, and my sister thought the world of John Derrick, okay? She thought he was to be the leader of all the world or something. She had pictures of him all over her walls and everything. And I said, I'm supposed to listen to what she says? Are you kidding me? John Derrick? No, not a chance, <laughs> So there was contention in the family. And uh, so at the, I shared with you the last time I preached my testimony how uh, toward the end of my uh, college courses and just about to start graduate school, uh, I, I found Jesus. Okay? I, I went from being a fan of God to being a follower of God. I was, I was born again. And I became part of the family of God. And I, I thought, it, fortunately, I have to tell the rest of the story about my sister, that uh, things got much better between us when she left home. <laughs> uh, she went off to school in Columbus and uh, went into nurses' training. And she would come home on weekends and everything. For some strange reasons, we started getting along. Maybe it was because she wasn't there. I, they tell me what to do, I guess. I, 
But anyhow, the relationship got better and better. That's the good news. And, uh, but she was off at school, and uh, we, we would talk and actually had civil conversations at that particular time. Well, uh, when I was in school, she was already graduated. Uh, she had gotten married. She was living in Worcester, Ohio, up in the northwest corner. She had married a, a fellow who was uh, in agriculture, and he became the head of uh, what was called the Agricultural Experimental Substation for the state of Ohio. And so I was in Columbus. I'd become a Christian. I was being discipled. And, and the people who discipled me gave me a Bible. And I, was, I started reading it. And I, it was amazing. I was reading stuff in there. I thought, this is fantastic. For example, I read the book of Proverbs. I'd never seen anything like that. I mean, the wisdom in just that one book, Proverbs, was outstanding. And I was hungry for the Bible. I craved it. And I remember I'd go to class during the day, and, and I'd have a lot of homework to do just starting grad school. And, and I'd have a lot of homework, and I'd go and I'd diligently work on the, on the homework. And then as soon as I got done, I'd grab my Bible and I started to read again because I found it fascinating. It was, it was amazing what was in there. And uh, between reading the scriptures and being discipled and being part of a, a Christian group of students, uh, it was revolutionizing my life. And so I had this in my head, I've got to tell my sister. She, she grew up in the same home. She was exposed to the same spiritual training that I was. I need to tell her what I found. So I called up to Worcester. And I talked to her and her husband, and I said, hey, i got something I want to talk to you about. Can, can I come up and visit? And they said, sure. So on the weekend, I drove from Columbus up to Worcester, and I, on the way, I was excited. I was really fired up because I was going to hopefully get to, to share with them what Jesus had done in my life, what he was doing, and the changes that had come about. And I got there, and over that weekend, we had the opportunity to talk, and I, I laid it out before them. I said, this is what's happened. And uh, I'm, I'm, I've been born again. And, and I'm studying God's word. I'm being discipled. And it's, it's changing. It's changing a whole lot of things. And I, I'm really... I'm really excited, and I wanted to tell you about it. And their response just blew me away. It just, I, uh, their response was, we're happy for you. Okay? We're glad you finally found something to guide you, little brother. And, uh, but... In actuality, what they were saying, we're not interested, okay? And I was, it just knocked me over. They basically said, you found something that's meaningful to you, that's great, uh, and that's fine, but we're not interested at this time. 
So on my way home, I was rather bummed out. And I drove back to Columbus, and there was a couple that was in the same organization that was discipling me who had been friends with my brother-in-law and my sister when they went to school together. And uh, they had talked to my brother-in-law and my sister as well about the Lord. And so I, told, I went and sought them out, and I told them, hey, this is what happened, and this is their response. And I, they said, that's the same thing they did to us. <laughs> and they had, they had the same reaction uh, as they had to you. And so we made an agreement that we would pray for them and make them a matter of prayer for, uh, on a regular basis. Well, then a while later, I get another phone call, because we stayed in phone conversations uh, over the years, and I get a phone call, and they said, we're moving. Okay, you're moving? Why would you move? He's got a good job. What, why would you move? And basically, he said, we've, uh, my brother-in-law had been offered a great job. I mean, a really, really good job. And we're going to be moving to Canby, Oregon. Oregon? I said, I'll never see you in Oregon. How on earth are we ever going to get together? You're in Oregon. And so, but they packed up and they moved to Canby, Oregon. And it's a, really, it's not a very big town. It's located in the middle of Oregon. There's a big fertile valley that runs this way through Oregon, and Canby's right there. And they grow produce there that is out, you know, beyond belief. But he got a job there, a really good job, really good job. And they settled in Canby, but we stayed in contact back and forth. And in one of the conversations uh, a few years later, they bring up God. You know, the name God came up. They said, well, God helped us with this. And then they, made, they brought up the Lord. <laughs> well, the Lord sold us to, got us to this point. Of, and I'm, I'm on the phone, I'm going, what? <laughs> and so... Uh, we finished the conversation. I'm scratching my head thinking, we've never talked about God or the Lord. or any, I mean, that's never been part of conversation with us. So I said, I, I've got to find out what's going on. So I called him back. I said, okay, tell me what's happened. Okay, you, 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 started, bringing, you started talking about God. You're talking about the Lord. Is there something you want to tell me? Is there something that, that I would be interested in here? And they said, oh, yeah. Let, let me tell you what, what happened. I said, oh, okay. So they said, we moved to Canby, Oregon. Soon after we moved, we were getting settled in, and a group came to the door. And they were very nice people, and they offered to help us out. They had brought some treats and stuff, and they offered to give us information as to how we could settle into the community and where to go to get this and where to go to get this done and everything. And uh, they helped us out considerably. And they were from the Mennonite Church in Canby, Oregon. Just so happened that my brother-in-law had been raised in St. Mary's Ohio, on a dairy farm. 
And in that area, Mennonites were very common. He knew Mennonites. He'd grown up with them. And lo and behold, he moves to Canby, Oregon, and, a couple, and several Mennonites show up at his door. And he had a high regard for, for them. And so they invited him to church. And after they left, his conclusion was, these people have invited us. I'm not going to turn them down. So let's go. Let's go to church. And so he gets the whole family together and they troop off on Sunday to go to church. And they liked it. They got along very well. So they went back. And this kept on. They kept going, kept going. They heard the gospel. They responded positively and received the Lord. And they became involved in the church and their children were being raised in the church. And so they're sharing this story with me. And I was just, I was just knocked a breath right out of me. Couldn't have, they had moved to Canby, Oregon to hear about the Lord. Well, who would have thought? <laughs> but uh, then later on, I get, I'm talking to them, and I find my brother-in-law has joined, through the Mennonite church, joined the Gideons. Now, the Gideons are those folks who hand out Bibles. And they hand out Bibles to, in, after school and to motels. They put them in the rooms. And the whole purpose of the Gideons is to, to distribute the Word of God. He became a member of the Gideons. <laughs> he became a leader among the Gideons. My brother-in-law and my sister. This, this movie... My sister became the librarian for the church. <laughs> Seeing to it that, that, you know, the people of the church had good literature, godly literature in their home. And so they were, I, I was realized that they are part of two families now. They're part of the biological family, but they're also part of the spiritual family. The family of God. Well, it seems like it's, it's Jesus' family also eventually joined the family of God. And the gospel records many times that Mary, Jesus' mother, was part of those who followed Jesus as his disciples and supporters. And she was at the crucifixion, and he saw it that she was provided for. In Acts 1.14, we read that his mother and brothers were all there at the prayer meeting that was called after Jesus ascended and prior to Pentecost. His brother James not only authored the book of James, but became a primary leader of the new church in Jerusalem. And he stayed in that capacity for a long, long time. So Jesus, like all his believers, has two families, the biological family and the family of God. As I thought about this, it, it brought to mind a chorus written by the Gaithers. And I want to share the lyrics. It's not long, but I want to read it to you, and I want this to be the introduction to our time of communion. The chorus goes like this. I'm so, I'm so glad I'm a part 
of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. You'll notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family, and these are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, <laughs> the family of God. God, we're so glad we're a part of the family of God. We've been washed in the fountain. We've been cleansed by his blood. We're joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side because we're part of the family of God. Let us rejoice and be glad in that relationship. Amen and amen.